At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This winter, we're taking a fresh look at a familiar story through our series, Jonah, At Odds with God. Tune in now as we face the same choice Jonah did, to receive God's mission or to resent it. All right, this morning we have an opportunity uh, to gather together and open up God's Word. So if you would, take out your Bible and turn with me to Jonah chapter 2. Actually, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. That's where we're going to start today. We're going to get through chapter 2. Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. As you're turning there, you know, uh, this week I was reflecting of, like, being a parent. It's been a, a great joy in my life to be a parent, but it's also come with a lot of challenges, it's come with a lot of um, difficulties. And one of the, the things that I found that is probably the most difficult part of parenting for me is discipline. Right? Disciplining your kids can be difficult, especially when they have those cute little faces and, uh, you know, the innocent eyes, and yet they, they act like they're the spawn of Satan. Have you ever? Okay. <laughs> some, some of you have those kids. Right? It can be difficult to discipline our kids. We love them, right? But it, well, we love them, and, and our love for them causes us to discipline them, especially when we see them walking down a path or moving towards something that we know will harm them or can harm them. Right? We wouldn't be a good parent if we saw our kid running headlong towards harm and we didn't say anything, right? We wouldn't be good parents. I don't like it, but I know I'm called to it, Right? Raise a child in the way that they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. God has called us to this, this great stewardship of being parents, and yet a part of that is discipline. And though I don't like it, I know that discipline is essential. We have to correct behavior that's not good. And this helps us, and understanding this helps us lead, leads us to understanding another difficult aspect of God's character. Right, last week we looked at the aspect that, that God is a God that we're supposed to fear. Right? Fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we took a look at that, that fearing the Lord is not a negative thing, but it's a positive thing because it draws us closer to him. And today we're going to look at another aspect of God's character in this fact that God disciplines those whom he loves. We see this in Proverbs chapter 3 and also in Hebrews chapter 12. The writer of Hebrews says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary by his reproof. For the Lord disciplines him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. You see, God disciplines us. When we find ourselves being disciplined by God, it's coming from a place of God's love. His love for us is carried out through discipline. And sometimes God's discipline in our lives comes as he places us or permits us because of our sin to be in painful and even difficult circumstances for a purpose. God allows us to walk through difficult times as an act of his discipline in our lives, specifically when we go awry, when we go astray, when we step outside of God's design in our lives. It is God's love and it's his mercy that seeks to bring us back. And sometimes that love and that mercy show up through discipline. Today we're going to describe God's discipline as his severe mercy. 
It is a severe mercy. Instead of us letting us go into destruction, he uses intense and strict discipline that comes in the form of his mercy. For God does not have to extend mercy to his disobedient children. Right? God is not required to extend to us mercy. Right? God can be a judging God. When, when we sin, God has the right to discipline. God has the right to judge us. God has the right to do harm to us because we're acting outside of his design. Just as sometimes we, as when we have children, we must discipline them as well. But here's the thing. Discipline, and I wish we could get this image out of our minds, because discipline is not negative. It's not a bad thing. Instead, I wish we could see discipline as the fact that discipline brings freedom. Now, that might be hard for us to comprehend in our minds, but it's the truth behind it. Every time we see discipline happening in life, it always brings freedom. Think about it like this. You start going through the discipline of eating healthy. What does that do for you? It frees you up because then you have more energy. You feel better. You might even look better. And you go through life because now you have more freedom. Think about the discipline in the areas of sports or athletics. right? Especially if you're a basketball player. You go through the discipline of practice. You go through the discipline of, of making three throw shots. Like nine times out of ten, you're trying to get to that per- perfect mark. And you're, you're training your body. And you go through that discipline. You... you um, disregard going out with your friends so that you could practice basketball. And why do you do that? So that when it comes time for the game, you have freedom to be able to enjoy the benefits of your discipline. The same is true when we take a look at the discipline of the Lord as it relates to our sin. Think about it like this. If it wasn't for the Lord's discipline in our lives, we would still be a slave to sin. And what God is trying to do through his discipline is he's coming in and trying to free us from that slavery. Isn't that a good thing? The discipline of the Lord is not something to be averted, to turn away or turn our, 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 our eyes away from. We, we should seek to live holy lives in the power and presence of the Lord. But sometimes when we go astray and we go our own way, God sometimes brings about his severe mercy to bring us back. And today... As we are continuing walking through this biblical account of Jonah, we come to what's known as the kind of the second act of God's unfolding of this account. And what we learn is that up until this point, that, that Jonah has been at odds with God. Right? He, God comes to him and he says, Jonah, I want you to go down to Nineveh and I want you to tell them that their sin has come before me and I want you to call out against it. And Jonah says, I'm not going. Jonah, in essence, quits as a prophet. He says, no longer do I want to be a prophet. And instead of going to Nineveh, he goes down to Joppa so that he can get on a boat so that he can go all the way to Tarshish. And so he's absolutely turning and going in the wrong direction. And yet we see what's happened is that, that God has allowed, as he's on this ship, God has allowed a mighty storm to come up. And Jonah's down in the belly of the boat. And finally, through the course of events, we realize that Jonah's the problem. He's the one that's caused this great storm and that God is seeking to try and get Jonah's attention and yet it ends with Jonah being thrown overboard into the sea. 
And what we're going to see in these next few verses is the mighty, severe mercy of God unfolding in the life of Jonah. And this is what we're going to see today, that God's severe mercy is terribly helpful. Just think about those words and the way that they're positioned next to each other. God's severe mercy is terribly helpful. We need God's terribly helpful mercy and his severe mercy in our lives because we need to be corrected at times. So today I really want us to see why is God's correction and his discipline necessary in our lives. We're going to see three truths to answer this question. Why it's necessary and why it is helpful. First we're going to see that God employs severe mercy to pursue us. Look at me in verse 17 of chapter 1. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish there three days and three nights. Right up until this point, we, we, all we hear is that Jonah is going down. Jonah is, is fleeing the presence of the Lord. He's at odds with God, and so he continues to leave. But what we don't see in the scripture, but we do know is happening, is that God is following every step along the way. God has not left Jonah alone. Jonah is not outside of the presence of God, but God has been with him every step of that disobedience. And God has been pursuing him, and he's been coming after him. After they pick up Jonah, the sailors pick up Jonah and throw him into the sea, the storm stops. And we saw last week that these pagan sailors begin worshiping God. But as Jonah falls into the water and is seeking to go down into the depths of the sea, we see God's severe mercy show up in the right time, in the right way. And as verse 17 tells us, that God appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. Now, now think about this. Sometimes we forget about like the sovereignty of God and the power of God. That, that God is, is literally sovereign over all things. And so even through our own decisions and even through our own mistakes and failures, God is still sovereign over and in all of those things. And God is also sovereign over nat nations. God's sovereign over uh, nature. And in this case, we see this showing up in a very perfect way. At the exact time, at the exact place, God steps in and saves Jonah by allowing him to be swallowed by a great fish. So here Jonah finds himself in the severe mercy of God. It was mercy because God saved Jonah from drowning. It was fear, severe because God had to use extreme circumstances to keep him alive. And we see that Jonah is in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. But though the fish spared Jonah, he's still not set free. He's stuck. He's stuck in the prison of the belly of this fish. And it's almost as though he continues to stay there, and yet he doesn't yet turn back to the Lord. But God's discipline always seeks to bring about its end in our lives. You see, as a parent, I, I don't always 
discipline out of a pursuing love for my kids. That's full disclosure. That's a confession before you. Sometimes I discipline in anger because I'm fallen, because I have sin in my life. And sometimes I discipline out of anger. And the same was true for my parents. You know, my parents were great and I loved them, but they weren't perfect. I'll never forget this time my brother and I were, were arguing over a hairbrush. Now that was way back in the day when I actually had hair. Right? I, don't, I don't need one of those anymore. But we were arguing over a hairbrush. And so um, it was like the family hairbrush and I wanted to use it and then my brother wanted to use it and we were bickering back and forth and all of a sudden I hear my mom from upstairs come running downstairs and she had just had it. I mean, we'd been going at it all day and she finally was just like demons came out of the back of her head and it was, it was severe in that way and angry. And so she's like, she's pushing us around and she's like, why do you guys keep doing this? And finally she takes the, the hairbrush and she hits me on the hand with it. Yeah. But what happened in that moment was like a plastic hairbrush. It hit me right on the knuckle and right this, the perfect way that the hairbrush just shattered. And I looked down and I looked at my mom and I broke down laughing. <laughs> Not the right thing to do. She called my dad in. For the next 20 minutes, my dad with his belt was just chasing me all over. I'm kidding. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> it's a good thing it's CPP's not here. CPS or whatever. <laughs> Your discipline and my discipline are imperfect. Sometimes we come from a place that's not loving. But God always comes with loving discipline to us. His discipline is perfect. His discipline comes because he wants us to live a better way. He wants us to live in line with his desire for our lives. So his, um, his pursuit of us and his discipline of us is perfect. You see, even in, in this sense, Jonah's rebellion doesn't leave him outside of God's mercy. But even in his rebellion, God's pursuit of Jonah is his mercy. Jonah's right in the mercy of God. Even though this mercy in this time is severe. We should recognize that God is patient, God is loving, and he pursues us in all circumstances of discipline. We should see at times when things, when the wheels fall off and we feel as though we're in a place like the Lord is hard against us, that should cause us to understand that God loves us because he's disciplining those that he loves. He didn't love us, he just let us go. But instead, his mercy should turn us back to him. And you know, sometimes in our lives, the words of discipline and correction today don't take the form of a fish. Right? I, I don't know if you've ever been swallowed by a fish. I, I don't know. I, I would assume not. But I will say that God is just as active in your life and my life about bringing about discipline. 
making us aware of where we've gone astray. And one of the greatest ways that God has designed all of this is sometimes his words of correction come from our brothers and sisters in Christ or should come from our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? There are times in our lives that it's possible for us as followers of Jesus to be blind to our sin. And sometimes there's times in our lives where we're belligerent in our sin. And we need others to come alongside us and help us see that, especially if we're blinded. Right? God has given you brothers and sisters in Christ to see your blind spots. And God calls us as brothers and sisters to when we see our brother or sister in sin or see them going astray to come and approach them about it and say, hey, I see this in your life. Or when we see our brother or sister being belligerent, there are times in which we know that our brothers and sisters are clearly, clearly disobeying God's word. We see them going in the wrong way and many times we're silent. I don't want to offend them. I don't want to step in and say anything because that's a difficult, hard conversation. Well, I tell you what, brothers and sisters, like that's our call in each other's lives because our desire is to speak the words of truth into the lives of people so that our brothers can be restored, so our sisters can be restored. Not because we want it to be punitive in their lives. For some reason, this has become so difficult for us to do in the church. We should love and act in a correcting way because it's not an act of, of violence. It's not an act of hate, but it's kindness and mercy. I, I want you to know that our church does care about church discipline. And I know that there have been churches in the past, maybe you've been a part of a church that did this, did this poorly or did this in a way that was supposed to be punitive. But I'll tell you what, I can't, I can't tell you the number of times that I have conversations with people inside of our church where we're expressing church discipline. And if you've ever been in, uh, the, across the table for me or uh, out for coffee with me and we're having a conversation, you, you, I, I pray that you've never felt that it's been punitive. But we have to have those conversations with each other. We have to step into each other's lives and say, hey, I'm seeing this in your life. Help me understand. How can I come alongside you and help you? We can't just let things go. So whether discipline comes from God or comes from God through the church, it happens because God wants to spare us from greater destruction and harm. It does not show a lack of love on God's part to discipline us because he's really pursuing us. So God employs severe mercy to pursue us. The second aspect of God's discipline that we need to see is that God employs severe mercy to awaken us. Look with me in, in verse one of chapter two. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head, and the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever." See, God's 
severe mercy awakens Jonah. And we see that clearly in this passage as he's been in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. Surely by now, as Jonah's in that belly, the digestive juices of this fish had probably started to do their work. Some commentators and scholars say that he's been in there so long enough that probably those, the, the acids inside of the, the belly of this fish have begun to bleach his skin, bleach his hair and bleach his skin. And so he's becoming a truly like white light guy. And imagine he's in that place. He's in there for three days. Right in the first part of those three days, he's probably still very angry at God, still shaking his fist at God. But it wasn't until he was there for three days that finally the Lord's severe mercy in his life causes Jonah to repent. Causes Jonah to cry out to the Lord. He has been silent to God this whole time. His actions have said a whole lot of things, but he's never said anything to the Lord up in Jonah up until this point. And finally, we see him crying out to the Lord. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. We see that his, his prayer back to God follows this pattern where Jonah recognizes his condition, Jonah acknowledges God's discipline, and then Jonah expresses hope. Right, so he's, he knows his condition. He's in the belly of the fish, He's in the place of death. And here he uses the word sheol to, to reflect that. He understands that the waters are over him, that there are weeds that are wrapped about him and he's stuck like the bottom of a mountain. He is in a desperate place. He is in a place where he knows he's headed for destruction. And then he acknowledges God's discipline. He says, for you cast me into the deep. It is your waves and your billows that overwhelm me. God knows or Jonah knows that God is the actor in all of this. And then finally, Jonah expresses hope. He reveals, even though he's been driven away from the Lord, he desires and hopes to see himself back in the presence of God. In other words, Jonah is finally aware and he's awakened to the fact that he needs God's severe mercy he gets to the bottom and is literally at the bottom of the ocean in the depths of the sea. And this is where he turns back to the Lord. You know, I, I, I pray in our lives that we're more sensitive to the spirit than allowing us to have to get to hit rock bottom before we turn. Hitting rock bottom is not fun. It is not a place that you want to be. We should turn the instant that God impresses upon us that we need to repent and go a different way. I, I, I love how uh, David in Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2, describes th this, this pit. In verse uh, 40, 1 and 2, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He lifted me up from the pit of despair. Out of the miry clay, he set my feet upon the rock and made my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to God, to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. See how he describes that? Like hitting rock bottom. Like you've come to the place of where you've got yourself into that place. 
You've clearly made every single decision and now you find yourself in the muck and the mire. It's hard for you to lift your feet because you feel stuck. And then the walls of this pit that you've created are now all made out of clay and they're wet. it's wet clay. And if you've ever played with wet clay, you know it's very slippery. So you get to the bottom of that pit where your feet are stuck and you try to climb out of that pit, but all you're doing is, is moving your hands because they're slipping on the clay. Have you ever been there? Some people want to sit there and stay, but the great and severe mercy of the Lord allows us to be there. And then we get into that place where like, my only hope is God. And so we turn, we turn to the Lord and we call upon his name for salvation. We call upon his name for help. And he comes in and he saves us. Maybe you're here today and you feel as though you're under God's severe mercy. And maybe you feel like you're at the bottom of the pit. Well, let me remind you today that while you still have breath in your lungs, you have an opportunity to receive the grace of God by calling on his name. Maybe you're here and you're not in the pit, but maybe you're somewhere on, you're on the way towards the pit. Like you've started digging that hole with the decisions in your life. And you think you're okay. You're like, well, the mighty hand of God's not against me yet. And you start digging a little bit more and then you get to a difficult spot and you're like, oh, this is a little bit hard. Let that little bit of hardness be a reminder that you're stepping out outside of God's design. You're stepping outside of God's way for your life and put down the shovel. Stop making the hole dip deeper, but let us turn to the Lord. I love how Jesus tells the Laodicean church. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. That is our only action that will get us be, to be saved from the pit that we are creating. God is disciplining us. He's allowing us to go through difficult times. He's allowing life to be hard so that we might say, hey, am I doing something? Am I I'm being in some way disobedient to the Lord? Right? That should be one of the questions. Not like, God, why are you doing this? One of the things when we go through difficult times is saying, God, is there some way that I'm being disobedient? Because not every time we go through difficult times is it because we're being disobedient. The Lord's severe mercy on our lives is, comes from a loving pursuit and when we run, his grace awakens us to our condition and our need for him. And, and third, God employs severe mercy to save us. Look at me in the second part of verse six. He says, yet you brought up my life from the pit. Oh my, my, oh Lord, my God. When my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. Everything up until the second part of verse six is desperate despair. And yet in this time, he calls on the name of the Lord for salvation. He uses similar words that, that David used in the psalm I, I read just a few minutes ago. 
right? You brought me my life out of the pit. When my life was fading away, I turned and I remembered. I remembered you. My prayers entered into your holy temple. And then he makes this confession. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope and steadfast love. Those that refuse to turn back to the Lord and try to find hope and significance and security in idols, they have no, no expression or no opportunity to receive hope or the steadfast love of God. So instead, turn away from the idols, turn back to God. Remember what the idol was that Jonah was chasing after? Jonah wanted to sit on the beach of Tarsus. He wanted to, to get out of that. He, he wanted to get to a place where he could retire from the work of the Lord. That was his idol. He was chasing after it. He no longer wanted to be a messenger of God, so he's chasing after his dream, and his dream gets him to the bottom of the ocean. And then he turns in repentance and prayer, and we see that God saves him. God's severe mercy has brought him to his senses, has brought him to a place of repentance. And now he's in a place where he can obey because now the Lord has done a mighty work that he brings this fish to the shore and has him vomit Jonah onto dry ground. I don't know what that scene smelled like. I don't know what that felt like. But I know in the dirty mess, the muck and all of that was surrounding him there was a gracious heart because God had shown mercy on Jonah. His severe mercy had turned into repentance. I was reading a story this week about the, the life of John Newton. I don't know if you know John Newton, but John Newton back in the day was a notorious slave trader. He was an evil and hard slave trader. And he dealt with the slaves that he transported very poorly and very harshly. He says this, he says, I had the ambition of a Caesar or an Alexander and wanted to rank in wickedness among the foremost of the human race. Can you imagine? Like you're calling yourself, this is my, I want to be evil in the sight of the world. I, today it would be like someone saying, hey, my desire in life is to be worse than Hitler. Can you imagine that? like the wickedness of someone's heart. But it wasn't until March of 1748 that as he's, he's transporting slaves across the sea, a massive storm comes up. This was so massive that uh, for the first time in his life, John was assured that he and the crew would be killed. The storm was so mighty, yet God's severe mercy was pursuing Newton and putting him under this harsh discipline the storm, or the storm badly battered the ship, but kept it afloat. And almost a month later, it's not until a month later that with this battered ship that John Newton finally makes it to Ireland. And over the course of the next few days and months, Newton began to pray and began to seek the Lord, and the Lord saved him. Newton repented in his heart, so much so that his life was changed by God, that John Newton is the one that wrote Amazing Grace. That's his story. That he understood the wretchedness of who he'd become, and by God's amazing grace, he 
was saved. Man, the God we serve is a mighty God. He's relentlessly pursuing us in his love and in his grace and mercy. You know, it is easy for us to, to dismiss sometimes God's severe mercy in our lives and to grow cold towards his discipline. Yet bringing, yet his discipline is there to bring about salvation. Like what makes our lives in a much better way than Jonah is because we have Jesus, right? Jonah didn't have Jesus. But if we look at the best way that God can relentlessly pursue us is in the fact of Jesus, right? God taking on flesh to come to earth so that he could save us, so that Jesus could live a perfect life. Jesus never disobeyed God. Jesus never had to endure the discipline of God on this earth until he went to the cross. For here's the mighty thing, that on the cross, Jesus does an amazing thing. All of your sin and the punishment for your sin and my sin and the sin of all time, all of that was placed on Jesus. And the Bible tells us that on the cross, Jesus endured the wrath of God. Jesus endured it. He took the punishment for your sin. He took the penalty for your sin and he paid it on the cross. And then Jesus went to a grave and the Bible tells us he was there for three days. But then on the third day, the grave could not hold him. The grave could not stop him. Death needed to be defeated. Sin needed to be put to death. And that's what God did. He raised Jesus from the dead. And now Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, if we place our faith and trust in Jesus, our sins can be forgiven. We can be right with God and we can be right with others because God has shown us the way to salvation. Jesus was the ultimate prophet because he came and he proclaimed the kingdom of God comes through faith in him. If you're here today and you haven't come to place faith in Jesus, then I encourage you, that's, that's your response today. Like the Lord has been merciful to you. Every single day we face judgment against God and God's mercy, he withholds his judgment so that in his grace we might turn You've been given life to this point. God has been merciful. Let us respond to the cross of Christ today in obedience. Or maybe you're here and you've already come to know Jesus. You, you've been walking with him. And you're right now walking through a season of his discipline. Let me remind you that God is not harsh. He's not angry. He's not disappointed in you. But he loves you. And he wants you to turn in repentance because God has great plans for your life. God wants to still use you, remember? God has called you to a thing called the Great Commission. Right? The Great Commission is on our lives so that we will go and tell others about the love of Jesus, that we will teach them about his love and that we will baptize others and we will we'll see the kingdom of God come through the lives of people as God uses us. Like God has a mission for you. He's not done with you. And so let us repent now while we have time so the Lord may use us in this great work. You know, each one of us are Jonah. 
And each one of us need to respond. I, I pray none of you get swallowed by a fish. But I pray that with the life that we have and the breath that we have now, our response would be worship, but that worship would come from a place of repentance. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Jonah. We thank you that through his life we see your severe mercy. And Father, we know that Jonah was pointing to Jesus who would be the ultimate example of your severe mercy. That you knew in order to save us from our sins, your own son would have to die. That he would have to be tortured and that you would have to pour out all of your wrath on him. I know it's hard to discipline my own children at times and I, I can't even fathom the pain you felt for having to discipline us through punishing your son. God, your mercy is great. Your mercy is here. Father, may we not shy away from it. May we run to it. May we run to the foot of the cross. May we come with arms lifted high in the midst of all of our sin and say, Lord, please forgive me. May that be the disposition of our hearts, not only today, but as we go from this place for the rest of our lives. May we be sensitive to our sin and maybe we be quick to repent. For you are good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.